You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? You guys alive and well this morning? It is good to be with you. I, uh, I'm just feeling extra grateful this morning. I don't know. I just To be a part of a church community where there's life, to hear about a church picnic and baptisms, and I think maybe even part of it is that the last three nights, I've gotten to spend the evenings with our students. So for the last three nights, I was over at uh, Camp Todd in Denton uh, speaking the messages to our 6th through 12th graders. And uh, man, I'm just here to tell you that they are hopped up on sugar. Parents, they're coming back. Get ready. They're hopped up on sugar. They were laughing. I mean, Pastor Ronnie and his team, there were games that they invented that I would have never thought of in a million years, but they were a hoot, all right? There may or may not have been diapers involved filled with chocolate pudding. It was, it was actually a lot now that I think about it, you know? It was like one of those things that remind you of like youth ministry is a young man's game. So, um, but more importantly than all of that, man, every night they came together and they engaged in musical worship. They heard the message spoken in a way that they could understand. They were responding to the simple message of the gospel that Jesus takes his record and substitutes it for our own. And so students were responding to that. And I'm really excited for them to come back. Uh, maybe next week we'll even have a little update for you about how, just how special of a time it was. So when you see uh, Ronnie and his team, just give him a high five. Adapt, give him some knuckles, a $10 bill, whatever you need to do to just let him know that you appreciate him, all right? So uh, let's get going here. Why don't you guys open up to the book of Proverbs? We're going to continue our series this morning, and this morning we are going for a drive. How many of you enjoy driving? You like to drive? How many of you are like, please, dear God, don't get, let me get in the car? Okay, I'm actually, I don't know if this is surprising you, I'm actually more of the latter. So my wife, she loves to drive, all right? She, she actually gets a little bit car sick when she's in the car. And so if possible, she prefers to be behind the wheel. She just feels a little bit better. And so for me, I'm like, I don't mind because I actually don't enjoy driving a ton, especially long drives. I just feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel like, do you know what I could have done in my life for three hours besides sit behind a wheel? So anyway, I already don't love driving a ton, but nothing, nothing gets me even more frustrated about driving than a lack of clarity on the road. Have you ever seen a confusing road sign? Yes, right? And you're like, sign guy, you had one job. What are we doing here? You're driving, right? And you're on the highway and you have like all of three seconds to decide which way you have to go. Somebody tell me how this is helpful. (laughs) Tell, Tell me how this is supposed to shine light on the path that I'm supposed to go. What is that? You're driving, right? And you got two seconds to decide which exit you're going to take off the highway. This is a real sign. How is that helpful? You pull up to the road here, right? And you got, you got a five-lane highway. If that's not dangerous enough, and you got a bunch of onlys and left turns and right turns, what is happening here? What would you do if you pulled up to a, to a zone and all of a sudden you find yourself in a spot? No right turns, no left turns, no forward, no backward. Stop, do not enter, wrong way. And you're just like, I'm just going to get out of my car and walk the rest of the way. Man, I empathize with the Department of Transportation people, but I'm just saying, man, if you have to paint a sign and you don't first remove the former sign, I'm just saying that's not going to go well for you, right? And so we're laughing here because we go, ha ha, that's horrible. But listen, friends, like 
a lack of clarity about the rules of the road can kill you. You know what I'm saying? If you turn right and you're not supposed to turn right, and, you, and it's like we laugh in here, but out, out there that can get you killed. Just a few weeks ago, I was over by my office. We have an office at the church uh, by Airport Way. You know what I'm talking about? And Airport Way turns into 50. And so I pull out of my office. I'm going down Airport Way. And I'm, you, I'm pulling up to the big light where I normally turn right. But there's a lot of activity, right? And there's like trucks on the side of the road and guys with hard hats and vests. And they're walking. And I'm like, all right, something is happening here. So I just slow down. And, and as I approach my turn, there is a single orange cone on the midline, okay? So my lane is clear, the other lane is clear, but there's a single orange cone on the, on the white line there, and I have no idea what that means, so I just proceed with caution, and I pull up to the light where I'm going to turn right, and out of nowhere, like a horror movie, this guy in an orange vest jumps in front of my car and goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You can't go this way. Didn't you see the cone? And I was at a loss for words as he reverses my car and makes me take a detour. I just wanted to tell him, hey, sir, there were probably a million ways that you could have made your intention clearer. I wanted to tell him that a lack of clarity about the rules of the road can kill you. Didn't you see the cone? See, that's frustrating when you're driving. But I think the only thing worse than confusion about the road while you're driving is confusion about the road when you're living, right? Have you ever been in a time of your life where you just looked around and you just wondered, which way do I go? Yeah, right? Young adults, you're like, yeah, that's called Tuesday, right? Like every day of my life, what is my next step? What am I supposed to do? You felt lost, You felt confused. You legitimately, if there were a GPS for life, you would buy it yesterday because you just have a lack of clarity about how these paths are supposed to go. Maybe you've even wondered, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying in your heart, yeah, I, I really could use someone to help direct me. I really could use someone to come alongside of me and help me discern the path. I really wish that there was somebody to help me understand the road signs around me. I'm telling you, friends, we are going for a drive today. And guess who gets into the passenger seat with us? Guess who our co-pilot is going to be today? Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom gets into the seat, and she is going to help us navigate the paths of life. She is going to make clear the rules of the road. She is going to help us know what to do, especially with one road sign in particular. She gets in the car, we're going to drive around, and she's going to show us the do not enter sign. And so if you're here this morning and you've been confused, if you're you're looking for some direction, if you've ever been in a situation where you don't know which way to turn, I have good news for you. Listen to wisdom, and she will teach you how to stick to the path. Listen to wisdom, allow her to instruct you, and if you pay attention, she will show you the way to go. Can anybody use some direction this morning? Here we go. Proverbs chapter 4. We're starting in verse 14. This is God's word for East Point Church. Check it out. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. 
For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We'll pause right there. Wisdom warns us of the wicked way. Wisdom in the car with us warns us of the wicked way. You see, friends, as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, we have been pursuing the blessed life. There is a path out here that the Bible has highlighted, and it says this is the way you should go. This is the good life. This is the way that will result in God's nearness and his rewards. This is the blessed way. Wisdom on this path has long life in her right hand, honor and riches in her left hand. Friends, this is a road. This is a path that is paved with peace. And we've all been looking at this path and we go, yes, I want it. But I have some news for you. It turns out that life is a little bit more complicated than simply follow the paths paved with peace. Turns out there's a second path out here. Turns out that there's an alternative road. We see that in addition to the path of wisdom, there is also the path of the wicked. In addition to the path of righteousness, there is also a way of evil. It's complicated. There are two different ways you could go. And at the head of the street, at the top of the block of this way, we see a giant road sign. Do not enter. Do you see it? Solomon throws up more than a simple cone in the middle of the road. He has a four blinking, flashing signs. He says, do not walk. Avoid. Do not go. Turn away. Pass it on. Do not collect $200. X marks the not spot, right? Get out of here. Make no mistake. Do not go this way. You see, as wisdom instructs us in wise living, she requires you to know that there is a divergent path. You see, wisdom wants you to be innocent of evil, but not ignorant of evil. If you're going to be wise, if you're going to make it in life, you need to have some some street smarts here. You need to realize that for every do, there is a don't. For every productive path, there is a destructive and evil way. Wisdom requires that you not be naive. You need to know if you're going to make it out there that there are two paths. We must have a knowledge, a discerning discretion to see the difference between the ways that work and the ways that don't. This is an important lesson. This is just as important today as it was thousands of years when this was written. Because we live in a culture that has graduated from the labels of good and bad. You know what I'm talking about? We live in a culture that has torn down the do not enter signs, and they go, whoa, 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 there's no such thing as a good lifestyle or a bad lifestyle. There's no such thing as a right way and a wrong way. It's just different. And for you to try to label this road as wrong, for you to put up a do not enter sign on this path, that is very small-minded of you, and you're ignorant and you're bigoted, and you're prejudiced. 
The world has graduated from good and bad. And yet wisdom cries out here at the head of this street. And it says, false students of wisdom, there is a bad way. And the wise see it. There is an objective grain. There is a right and a wrong. There is an ultimate reality of God's design. And wisdom needs you. Wisdom requires you this morning to see the difference. Because you must not enter the wicked way. Don't do it. Why so emphatic? What, what, what is it that lies down that street? Why is he so serious that we must not enter it? Students of wisdom, take a look for yourself. If you were to walk down the street, you would see that these people are not your people. These ways are not your ways. Look what we find down there. We see that these neighborhoods are saturated, not with wisdom, but with wickedness. Down these streets, you will find a people, you will find a community, you will find a lifestyle that, whose drive to do evil is so complete that the day isn't done until they've done wrong. It's not done until they've done wrong. How, uh, how many of you guys cut the grass yesterday? I'm just curious. Saturday grass cutters? Oh yeah, I see you, all four of you, excellent. Uh, some of you, all five, I see that hand, I see that hand. Some of you are like, I'm more of like a Tuesday grass cutter. You know, the way the sun exposes on the northern hemisphere, right? Yeah, I don't cut my grass, my wife does. Anyway, she likes to drive, come on, right? And I'm just teasing, kind of. So anyway, you cut the grass yesterday, right? And, and you know that feeling at the end of a Saturday when you did a lot of hard chores and, and yard work, and you just get this feeling at the end of the day, and you just got like a little bit of salty sweat pasted to your forehead, Right? You're like, oh, and you got that, that little muscle burn, and you go, man, that was a good, hard day work. And you get in the shower, and you just, ah, just wash off all the sweat, and then you put on your favorite pair of sweats. You know that pair of sweats. It's time to throw them out, somebody. That's for somebody here. It's time to throw out those sweats, and you put on those sweats, and you lay down in bed, and you just, ah, that's a good day's work, Right? You know, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys need to get, get out there and cut the grass because it's been a while since you've just had that, ah, oh, the satisfaction of a job well done. The people who live down the street, they don't have that sense at the end of the day. They don't have the feeling of a job well done. They can't cozy up in bed and sleep tight with the satisfaction of a job well done unless they've done evil. For them, a job well done, for them, a day of hard work, is wickedness and violence. They can't fall into bed and sleep tight. They are restless for wrongdoing. And the day isn't done until they've done it. Friends, the people on this path, this is not their hobby. This is their nine to five. They live for this. It says they eat and drink of wickedness and violence. Any Dunkin' Donuts fans? America runs on Duncan, right? You're like, no, it runs on Rise Up. Yeah, I know, but it's not as good of a slogan. America runs on Duncan, right? Well, these people run on wickedness and violence. This is their sustenance. This is what keeps them going. And so wisdom gives us a little glimpse of what goes down these paths because students of wisdom, there is nothing for you down those roads. Students of wisdom, there is nothing about this path that will lead you to where you want to be. And so I tell you again, do not enter. 
the paths that wisdom, the paths that Jesus is leading us on are as opposite from these paths as light is from darkness. And what does light have to do with darkness? Look, he paints this beautiful picture. He says the path of the righteous, it's like the light of the dawn. How many, how many of you love sunrises, right? Don't we do crazy things for sunrises? I'm going to wake up at 2.30 in the morning. I'm already going to get dressed in my clothes before I lie in bed so I can wake up and get, and people are like, are you crazy? Why would you ever wake up that early to go see the sunrise? And your only answer needs to be this. Come see and you'll know why, right? You look at that sunrise and oh my, and it is just beautiful and it is good and it is invigorating and you don't have to know any scientific jargon about what is happening in the sun or in the solar system. All you know is it's good and I want it. That's what it's like when you're living on the path of the light. That's what it's like when you're living in the way of the righteous. And I love how it says it grows brighter and brighter because following Jesus is not about waking up one day and you go, I get it, right? Wouldn't it be nice if it worked like that though? Wouldn't it be nice if you just like filled out a little application online, you press the button and all of a sudden, boom, I am perfected. I would take that test. I would do that assessment. No, 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 following Jesus, it's like walking in the light but the clarity with which you live increases little by little and it grows brighter and brighter. And just like the early rays of the dawn eventually grow into the brightness of high noon, so too life with God is resulting in greater and greater clarity. It's a life of growth and insight as you walk in the light. But this path, friends, it's the opposite. The way of the wicked is a deep darkness. You're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing God's design. You're, you're, you're groping in the dark. You're not walking in the light. And so you're always second-guessing yourself. You stumble on this path. It's like, it's like swimming upstream. Life itself is a fight. This is not the blessed path. And so he tells us, do not enter the wicked way. For what does light have to do with darkness? Church, this is not your people. These are not your people. These ways are not your ways. When you see that road, it's time for you to say, I'm not about that life. I'm not about that life. None of those streets lead to the ways of wisdom that I'm trying to get to. And so wisdom warns us of the wicked way. Can you guys see it? Do you see the two ways? Do you see the two paths? Friends, there is in this life a path of light and a path of darkness, a path of righteousness and a path of evil. There are wise ways and there are wicked ways. And as you examine those ways a little bit more closely, as you, as you consider your own life experience, as, you've cons- as you consider what you've seen, you realize that even as we talk about these two ways, you go, oh, wait a minute. If I'm being honest with myself, I think I've actually lived here in the way of the wicked. As I hear wisdom talk, I I want to be able to buddy up with her and go, yeah, wicked ways. Yeah, look at those people. But, But when I'm being honest with myself, as I examine the ways that she just described, the restlessness for wrongdoing, I go, I can't lie. Like, I think I know what it's like to live here. I think if I'm being honest with myself, I've I've walked this path. 
if I'm being honest with myself, and I believe what the scripture says, all of us are born into the path of darkness. Kind of a bummer of a message, right? Just when you thought we can get a little bit self-righteous and go, yeah, the way of the light. It's like, ah, not so fast. The Bible says that we're all born into darkness. It's a bummer of a message. Have a nice day. No, that's the bad news. But here's the good news, church. The good news is that Jesus, the light of the world, he came and stepped into darkness. And even though darkness is in your heart, he loves you anyway. That even though you are born on these ways, even though you perpetuate sin and evil in your own world, Jesus loves you anyway. And he stepped into the darkness and he rescued you from the darkness. And now he teaches you and he calls you to live in the light. What what does John say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are called to the path of light. Look what First John says. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you walk in the light, you have the confidence of knowing all of your days of darkness are forgiven and forgotten. You have the confidence to know that with your fellow brothers and sisters, we're cool. Same team. We are in the family of God, walking in the path of light. You are called to follow Jesus in the light. Students of wisdom, followers of Jesus, in light of your calling, there are now paths, there are now roads, there are now lifestyles to which Jesus stands at the head and he says, do not enter There are now old haunts, old friends, old hobbies, old lifestyles to which Jesus instructs you to say, I'm not about that life anymore. You see, when Jesus calls you into the light, he's not just sending you on your way. He's grabbing you by the hand and he says, let me teach you how to live in the light. Let me teach you new approaches to life. Let me teach you how to conduct yourself and your relationships and your affairs in the light. And when those old paths come calling, you say, I'm not about that life anymore. That's hard, isn't it? Because you know what your old posse is going to say? You're different. You've changed. What happened to you? You think you're better than us. Oh, where were you talking back then? And you go, you know, no, no, hey, I'm not better than you, but Jesus is better than me. And he's rescued me from darkness, and I'm just, I'm just trying to live in the light. I'm not about that life anymore. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's a relationship where he leads us by the hand into new paths, paths of wisdom and life and light. And we, as children of the light, we can declare with one voice, Psalm 56, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Is that your story? Has he delivered you from following somebody? Has he rescued you from death and darkness and placed you on the path of light? It's my story. That's our story. And so as we look at the second half of this passage, let me ask you this. Why do you think that he needed four blinking signs saying do not enter? Come on now. Why is it that a little tiny orange cone would not have sufficed in the middle of the road. I'll tell you why. Because every single one of us 
whether you're wearing a microphone or not, every single one of us will be tempted to go down this path. None of us in this room, hear me friends, this is the equalizer, none of us in this room are above the enticement of these ways. Because even though they end in death, I'm not going to lie to you, they look good sometimes. Even though it ends in death, there's an enticement, right? And it promises fun and pleasure, and and it promises it'll taste good for a moment. And it draws us like the siren's call. It sounds so good, but oh, it ends in so much pain. Why would we need four signs? Because none of us are above taking a detour here. And so with the sobering splash of truth, snap out of it. Do not enter. It's a lie. It will destroy you. Keep away from it. Stay out. Avoid it. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. Wisdom. I don't want to enter. But here's, here's my question. How? How do you stick to the path? How do you walk in the light when the rest of the world, when the majority of the world is walking in darkness? How do you stick to the path when you've already stumbled so many times to temptation and you've given in to the wicked way? How do you stick to the path and follow Jesus when everything else in your life is calling you this way? Well, wisdom tells us. Wisdom will show us here in the final verses how is it that we stick to the path of the light. And I'll give you a hint. It's going to take more than your feet. Look at the final verses. My son, Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In the second half of our passage here, we find the familiar call to attention, right? He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear. Listen up. Don't forget what's on the line here. What I have to say to you is life and healing. Listen up. And so when you're in the Proverbs, anytime you see that call to attention, anytime you hear that, my son, listen, he's about to drop a truth bomb. He's about to drop a wisdom bomb. And so he says, listen up, listen up, listen up. And what's the wisdom bomb? What is it that he wants you to know this morning? It's this, to walk on the path, you must engage your whole being. To stick to the path. To walk in the light, you must engage your whole being. The lifestyle that you are looking for will not happen by accident. The lifestyle of light and righteousness will not happen by chance. It will require the conscious engagement of your heart, of your mouth, of your eyes, and your feet. Look at what he says. He says, I want you to keep your heart. Keep your heart. Everybody point to your heart. And let's hold it there for a second. Point to it. Show me that you know. I know you know. I know you know where your heart is. Point to your heart. All right, look what it says. The Bible says that your heart right here is like a flowing spring of water. Your heart is the headwaters of your life. 
Any Chesapeake Bay zealots out there? How many of you love the bay? Come on, you got the bumper sticker? Yeah, you do. You got the, I saw your license plate out there. It was like, I love bay, right? But it was spelled B-A-E, right? And so like, wait, is this the Chesapeake Bay or like your bay bay? Anyway, you love the bay. Do you know, I learned this. I'm new to the short. Do you know that there are laws, strict laws about what people can dump, not into the bay, but into the waters up in New York and Pennsylvania? Did you know that? They're like, yes, newbie, welcome to the club. Okay, I didn't know this, but the reality is that what, if you want to save the bay, you don't need to protect the bay per se, hey. You don't need to protect the bay. You need to go to the headwaters. And so there are strict laws about what you are allowed to dump into the Susquehanna waters of Pennsylvania and up in New York because whatever enters the water there will flow downstream. Isn't that wild? You can poison somebody from hundreds of miles away by pouring something into their water. And the Bible says in the same way, whatever enters the headwaters of your life, whatever enters your heart will inevitably flow downstream and every action and every word and every decision and every relationship will eventually be affected by whatever gets into here. Whatever enters your heart will flow downstream into every part of your life. That's why when when Jesus saves you, he regenerates your heart. When you come and you start a relationship with Jesus Christ and he brings you into his family, he doesn't change you from the outside in. He changes you from the inside out. He gives you new values. He gives you new affections. He gives you a new perspective because whatever enters your heart, that flows the rest of your life. Therefore, with all vigilance. Watch out what enters in here. With all vigilance. I love the word vigilance. You know what it reminds me of? Vigilante. You know what vigilante reminds me of? Batman. The Bible saying be Batman when it comes to the condition of your heart. Watch over it. Be careful. Don't allow things to get in there. Be vigilant. Man, how many of you guys have neighbors who are vigilant about their grass? Right? And they're out there on their hands and their knees with a tape. And I'm like, ka-ch, ka-ch. And I'm like, you need a hobby. How many of you have friends like me who are meticulous about the condition of their car? Any car people? How many of you are car people? I need to be careful before I make fun of you. Okay. I saw that. You're like, ah, oh, don't make fun of me, please. Listen, I have friends that they wax the rims of their car so pristinely that you can see your reflection in it. And I'm like, brother, you're going so fast. Nobody's stopping to look at the reflection in your wheels. Some of you guys are fastidious when it comes to your clothing, and you're just so on point and, mm, and you look good. Ladies, you are meticulous with those eyebrows. Some of you, down to the individual hairs, you are like, it's like artwork on your face and your lashes. Don't even get me started. With the Bi- we are all vigilant about something. And what the Bible is saying is that nothing is more deserving of your vigilance than the condition of your heart. More than your grass, more than your car, more than your brows and your lashes. What is the condition of your heart? Nothing is more deserving of vigilance because every part of your life flows from here. Friends, the Bible, if we're going to stick to the path, we got to do a heart check. What's the condition of your heart? Is bitterness festering in the headwaters? 
Is self-pity brewing in there? Is cynicism tainting every part of your life? Has comparison with others, has that poisoned the wells of your joy? Are you allowing unhealthy friendships and attachments to undermine your affection for and your faithfulness to your spouse? With vigilance, friends, when something comes to the shores of your heart, ready to dump it, you stop it and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Will this increase the likelihood that everything downstream will be filled with the refreshing waters of righteousness? Whoa, 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 before I let this in, is this increasing the likelihood that I will stick to the path and commit my heart to the path of righteousness? If we're going to stick to the path, it's going to take us engaging and committing our heart. But it's not just our heart. There's another thing he says. He says you also need to watch your mouth. Walking on the path of righteousness requires that we pay attention to our words. If we are going to avoid crooked ways, then we must put behind us crooked speech. See, I grew up in church, and whenever the conversation of words came up, we were usually talking about cuss words. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you grew up in church? Maybe you're familiar with the joke, right, where it's like, you talk normal, and then if you go into church and you say something, go, don't say that. We're in church. How many of you, you remember those days, right? And you're like, is there like a magic in the air? Like, what changed? What? Don't say that. He's a pastor. That's my favorite line. When people like censor themselves, and I'm like, yeah, lightning will come out of my eyeballs and destroy you right now. It's crazy. Don't talk that way. He's a pastor, right? And usually when we think about words, we're thinking about your vocab words, right? But here's what, the, the, what wisdom is saying. It's so much deeper than what words you choose. She's getting you to consider what you're doing with your words. So this is what I mean. You can never drop another F-bomb for the rest of your life and still be devious with your talk. Your speech can be swear-free and you can still be allergic to the truth. You can avoid cussing and swearing and yet you're still causing division. You're still disrupting unity with devious speech even from behind a keyboard with your digital words. And wisdom says, if you are going to live on this path, then you must commit your mouth to the ways of righteousness. You must put away from you crooked and devious speech. You must use your words to perpetuate integrity, unity, truth. We must cease to deceive and mislead with underhanded words and slick speech. And James is so clear in the New Testament. The tongue is the hardest part of your body to control. How many talkers do I have in the room? So you empathize with me, right? The more you talk, the more you sin. And I talk for a living, so do the math. Right? The tongue is the hardest member of your body to control. It's like a match, right? Where a tiny little match can set ablaze an entire forest. One tiny little word can destruct an entire life. But here's the good news. When Jesus Christ gives us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, gives life and power to even the most destructive parts of our body. And the Lord gives us a spirit of self-control so that you and I can control our tongue by the power of Jesus. You and I can be reformed in how we use our words to build up and encourage, not to tear down and destroy. We can commit our words and our mouths to the paths of righteousness. 
Look at the next part here. He says, if you're going to stick to the path, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to walk in the light, if you're going to stick to the path of wisdom, then you must let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight. Our eyes must be fixed on the path which we wish to walk. Any runners in the room? Any runners? Yes. All right. So you know this, right? I, I used to coach middle school track uh, for five years, coach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade boys and girls how to hurdle and run and do sprints. And I love it. I absolutely love track. But there's this thing that middle schoolers do. It's just inherent in them, right? When they run, they always, just no matter how mature they they always do this. They go, where's everybody else? And they want to see, am I winning? Where is it? Where, who, who's behind me, right? And here's the thing I tell them. Wherever your eyes are, that's where your feet go. So if you're running toward the finish line and you look over your shoulder, guess what's going to happen to your feet? You're going to swerve. All right, some of you don't believe me. I'm going to give you an exercise. I want you to go out into the middle of the street, all right? I want you to stand between all the cars buzzing by, room, room, left and right. They're buzzing by you, but it's okay. You got the middle line. I want you to stand on the middle line. I want you to close your eyes and walk straight and stay on the line. Probably not a good idea, right? If you can't see where you're going, if your gaze is not fixed on the path, you won't stick to it. Let me give you another exercise. I want you to go to a football field. I want you to stand on the right hash, and I want you to close your eyes, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to turn your head to the left, and I want you to walk all the way down the football field on that line. Probably not a good idea to do in traffic, huh? Should we, should we abort that idea before I get emails? You get my point. Wherever your eyes are, that's where your feet will go. And so church, I ask you, what are your eyes gazing at? What are you watching? What path are your eyes fixed on? Do your eyes dwell on and watch the people who walk in places that you yourself are told not to go? Are you entertaining yourself? Are you watching? Are you binging lifestyles that you yourself say, I would never do that myself? You know, it's common whenever we're talking about the eyes, right? The men, men who are followers of Jesus, we know what it's like in our discipleship groups. We talk about it all the time. We live in a world that is saturated with sexual immorality, right? Like if you're a man and you're fighting the fight against sexual temptation to be faithful to your spouse, like, dude, you're in. I mean, that, that, that's the fight right there, right? We don't, we don't say to people, hey, have you ever struggled? We go, no, no, we, it's just, we take it for granted. How are you doing with the battle for your mind, right? How are you doing with the battle for your eyes? But I think wisdom would call us to take it even further. This is bigger than just males struggling with pornography. This is bigger than just your browser history. I think this challenges all of us. What's our Netflix history? What's our Hulu history? What are we binging on Prime these days? Are we gazing at lifestyles that we ourselves want no part of? Are we gazing at lifestyles that we ourselves are forbidden and saying, do not enter? And so here's a little saying I came up with this week as I wrote this. If you wouldn't walk that, don't watch that. If you wouldn't walk that, don't watch that. Because think about it. How can you walk on the football field? How can you walk on the path of light? But if your eyes are over there, where are your feet going to go? If you want to stick to the path, you got to watch your eyes. If you wouldn't walk that, don't watch that. Fill your mind, fill your eyes with the ways of righteousness, reading books and biographies, watching shows and movies that continually fill us with that's the good path. 
But Sam, when I, look, when I use that as my filter, there's just not a lot of options. Do with that what you, what you may. If we're going to stick to the path, we have to ask ourselves what we're gazing at. Jesus told us how important our eyes are. Jesus said, before your feet ever wander into the path of adultery, your eyes will first wander into lust. Your eyes are so detrimental to, the where, to where you end up that he says, pluck it out. Better to pluck out your eyes than to go to hell and sin. And so if we are going to stick to the path, we got to engage our heart. we got to watch our heart. we got to watch our mouth. We have to fix our eyes. And lastly, we got to watch our feet. He says here, you need to ponder. You need to consider. Look where you step. I love free-range chicken, all right? Anybody else dish out the money for the free-range eggs? Like, they're eggs. They've never walked anywhere, you know what I mean? But still, they're free-range eggs and free-range chicken. And, it's, and that's like a thing, free-range. Let them wander wherever they want to go. You can eat free-range chicken, but you can't live a free-range life. You can't allow your feet to just wander wherever it just so happens to go. You need to be intentional about every step. There's, it's required of us. Wisdom requires that if we're going to stick to the path, we must consciously consider where am I walking and where does this lead? And this level of conscientiousness, this level of intentionality will result in our ways being sure. Are you happening to your path? Or is the path happening to you? Are you roaming and just Wherever the wind takes you and whatever just happens to be in front of you and whatever paths are offered to you, are you just roaming or are you pondering? Do you ask yourself questions about your direction? Do you have brothers and sisters in your life that you've given permission to? Do you have a spouse that you've given permission to say, hey, I want you to challenge my steps. I want you to help me ponder. You have permission to ask me the hard questions and to just ask the simple one, where's that going to go? How's that going to work out for you? Consider your steps. Ponder your feet. Where does it lead? Are you committing your feet to the path of righteousness? Friends, we want to walk in the light. Amen? We want to live the ways of wisdom. We want to lead lives down the paths of righteousness. But if we're going to stick to the path, to walk on the path, you must engage your whole being. Heart, mouth, eyes, and feet. And if we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will stick to the path. We'll stick to the path. East Point Church, Jesus is calling you this morning to new paths. Jesus is calling you back to the path. And do you know how I know? I know this to be true. Do you know how I know he's calling you back to the path? Because he's calling me back to the path. Jesus is taking me by the hand and he's teaching me new approaches to life. Like, a, like an apprentice, he's bringing me under his arm and he's saying, let me teach you how to live in the light. And friends, me, Sam Cassis, he is teaching me new ways on how to manage my time and live wisely. He's teaching me, Sam Cassis, new perspectives about parenting, 
He's teaching me new approaches to criticism and feedback. He's teaching me new approaches to leadership. He is teaching me how to live in the light. Will you let him teach you? Will you let Jesus apprentice you and disciple you and bring you and show you his approach to life? And if the answer is yes, if you will, you'll live a good life. If you will, you will live on the blessed path. You will know his rewards. You will know his nearness. Long life is in his right hand. Wealth, riches, and honor are in his left hand. This is the good way. And he says, walk in it. Lord, we bow our heads and our hearts to you this morning in humility, asking you to teach us. Would you teach us, Lord, how to stick to the path? Would you, Father, who have called us out of the darkness, would you keep us out of the darkness, keep us in the light, direct our feet, guard our mouths, keep our hearts, set our eyes. Lord, so much in this world is drawing us toward the bad path. It's like the law of spiritual gravity. When we try to go up, something will pull us down. Lord, by your spirit, would you lead us? Direct us, Father. Give us wisdom as we follow you. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, as you call them back to the path, I pray that your lack of shame, that your abundant kindness, that your graciousness, that your mercy would cause them not to run away in shame and embarrassment, but to run toward you in hope and faith. God, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and you love us anyway. And so your kindness leads us to repentance. We want to follow you. We depend on you. Show us the way to walk and help us to walk in it. We ask you these things, Father, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.